Good morning, Restoration Church. That's better. My name is Rich Spini, and I have had the absolute privilege of being the pastoral intern this summer here at Restoration Church, and man, that has just been a complete blessing. I just need to start by saying thank you, thank you, thank you to you guys. I have really enjoyed and just learned so much from the ways that you guys have graciously allowed me to participate in your lives and in the lives of your families and in your ministry here at Restoration Church. I just need to say thank you to you. I'm greatly indebted to Pastor Ross and to this body as a whole, and I'm just excited to see how God uses us together in the future to continue to expand his kingdom. As Brian and Emily have mentioned, Pastor Ross is in Bolivia this week. Bolivia is a country in South America. There we go. That's a picture Ross took from his view out his hotel room. Um, and it's crazy about Bolivia. We've been talking about sponsoring children through compassion. You guys, Restoration Church, sponsor over 40 children through compassion down in Bolivia. And that is just incredible. It's so cool to see a body of people a church that is as young as Restoration Church, only two and a half years old, already meeting the physical and spiritual needs of people all over the world. And it's been so cool to see that in my time here. And you guys should be so proud of yourselves for the way God is using you already. Ross has uh, sent this picture of him. This is him with some of the children. Um, there we go at the local compassion centers, and he just said that his heart is so full, that it is so cool to see all these people while they have so few physical things, and they have so much need that they are just so dependent on God, and that they pray to him with such joy, and Ross is just so excited to continue this relationship between restoration and compassion all over the world. But since he is gone this week, he was crazy enough to leave me here with you guys, but I need to warn you. This is my first time preaching. <laughs> so, don't clap yet. There's still a half hour left. You might not be clapping by the end. <laughs> no, this is my first time preaching, and um, I'm hoping at least half of you will still be here by the end. So we'll see how we do. You know, preaching really is an interesting thing. I've been thinking about this week as I was preparing this message. Because, you know, we have this book, this sacred text, if you will, that we believe is the word of God. And then you hand it to me, someone that's just as broken and as in need of restoration as any of us. And you expect me to accurately understand and effectively communicate the truths in this ancient text. And that's hard. That's a really difficult thing to do. And you know, there's some preachers, they claim to get their messages from God. They get their messages from God. And then, and then you know, I listen to those messages and I understand why God gave them away. <laughs> so let's just, before we start this morning, let's just... Let's just pray that God will use um, my broken words, my imperfect message to speak to us this morning, that his Holy Spirit will stir in our hearts and minds. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this group of people, God, for this family of Jesus followers, this body of believers. I thank you for the work that you are doing in and through them here in the Levittown community, God, and just how you have used Restoration Church to bring healing and hope to the lives of so many people in this area. As we open up scriptures this morning, God, we pray that you will reveal yourself to us and reveal ourselves to us, Lord. Convict us of your truth and compel us to become more like you today. God, thank you for the chance that we have to freely worship you and learn more about you this morning. May we do so with gladness and boldness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So this morning we continue our series called These Aren't Your Children's Bible Stories. And what we've been doing in this series is going through some of the classic texts in Scripture. Maybe you've heard these texts growing up on your grandma's lap or going to Sunday school or just through the various ways that they've been integrated into our American culture. But what we're trying to do is put aside our elementary understanding of these texts and ask what do these stories have to tell us as adults living in Levittown here in 2016? What implications do they have for our lives today? And it's been so cool to go through some of these stories. And today we're going to look at the story of Jesus and the little children. And we've been going through this children's Bible, so let's see what our children's Bible story has to tell us this morning. One day, people brought their little children to see Jesus. Some men tried to send the children away. And I love this. Some makes, it makes it seem like there's some random creepy guys hanging around, right? But Jesus loved everyone big and small. He told the children to come to him. Jesus blessed the children. He will always be our friend. And that's nice, right? And for a two-year-old, that's a great story. It's kind of cute. But this story, this children's Bible rendition completely misses the entire point of this passage. A lot of our uh, children's Bible stories, they kind of simplify or dumb down a little bit the message. Not this one. It completely misses it. Completely messes, misses the entire lesson that I believe Jesus is trying to teach us. So let's open up to Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 to 15, and see what our real Bibles have to tell us this morning. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So we see this phrase, this little phrase in there, to such, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is saying here is not let the kingdom of heaven belongs automatically to children, not let children go to heaven, not that the, chil- that the kingdom belongs inherently to children. But what he's saying is to those like children, to those of us who become like children, to the childlike, the people like children will enter the kingdom of God. And this just doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense to me. It just seems kind of backwards. I thought we were trying to be more mature. Why would Jesus tell us to become like children? I was thinking about this, and then it hit me. I thought, oh, no. Oh, no. Ross, I see what you're doing here. Ross, I see what you're up to. You're going to spend six weeks bringing the whole congregation through this, your little series here. These aren't your children's Bible stories. You're going to tell everyone to put aside their childish faith, tell everyone to throw away their children's Bibles, and and then you're going to come over here and you're going to hand me, the intern, this itsy-bitsy little passage where God tells us to become like children. And if that wasn't enough, then the guy, listen to this, he's got the audacity to get on a plane and leave the country. Are you kidding me? Emily, I don't know how you live with this guy. And, you know, I don't think I'm the only one that's a little skeptical of this whole children thing. Maybe you're here today and you've heard of childlike faith before. You think of this, right? Childlike faith, and you think, what? Does Jesus just expect us to blindly accept everything like children would, to just kind of never ask any questions, never wrestle with any tough issues, that we're just supposed to be some innocent and clueless as children? Is that what he means when he says childlike faith? And no, I don't think that's what he's getting at. 
And some of you, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know, this is, this is cute. Jesus, right, tells us to become like children. And Rich, this is nice of you to, to preach this message and tell us to become like children. And you're young, but, but man, let me tell you something I know. If Jesus ever met my kids, he wouldn't be telling anybody to become like children. Man, if Jesus ever met my kids, he just would, he just would have skipped over this whole thing. He, he just wouldn't have said it. Or maybe you're here today and you don't have kids, or, or maybe you're like my parents, you got great kids, and, and you're, I was, as, as I was just talking, you're, sitting, you're the people sitting next to people with maniac children, right? You're going to elbow them, yeah, is you, if Jesus met your kids, or you're thinking of someone on the other side of the room, man, if Jesus spent two seconds with Nancy's kids, he just would have breezed past this one, they just wouldn't have included this, right? So we're skeptical of this. We're skeptical of this, and we don't understand why Jesus would tell us to become like children. So let's talk about kids for a little bit here. Because what is crucial for us to understand this passage is that our 21st century American children are so radically different than first century children that Jesus is talking about here. Today, we so highly, highly value our kids. We invest so much of our time, so much of our money, so much of our resources into our children. And oftentimes, if you're parents, you know that you radically reorient your lives around the lives of your kids. Education is a huge political issue. We see in the election both candidates talking about the importance of education. And as a nation, we just believe in investing in the next generation, in setting up children for success, and believing in them and supporting them. And generally speaking, this has created a bit of a culture of entitlement here in America. We feel entitled to good schools. We feel entitled to good sports leagues. And right, this is why we see kids throwing fits in toy stores. They feel entitled to that thing on the shelf that they believe should be theirs. And it's funny that a lot of times parents actually become dependent on their children. Right? Your schedules are dependent on your son's baseball schedule and your daughter's dance schedule and your budgets are dependent on your kid's college choice. And I'm not saying any of this is right or wrong. I'm just saying that's a whole different topic. I'm just saying that this is the reality of our culture that we need to recognize in order to understand what Jesus is saying here. This is our reality. Now, growing up, I always had family nearby, and, and this is just an incredible blessing for me. My parent, grandparents on both sides of the family and my cousins all lived within 15 minutes of us, and we would spend a lot of time together growing up as kids. And somewhere along the line, I guess it was my grandma decided to buy my cousin Dan and I these police outfits, right? So we had the hat and the big aviator sunglasses and a little shiny badge, right? And what better game to play as a kid than put grandma in jail, so we would, we would go out to the kitchen, and we'd take the kitchen chair and put it right in the middle of the kitchen, and then we'd go in the other room, and we'd get on our hats and our glasses and our badge, and then we'd march out to the family room where Grandma was sitting and tell her, Grandma, you're under arrest. You're coming with us. You're going to jail. And she was a good sport about it, and this was great fun for us, but oftentimes she'd say, oh, she'd laugh, and she'd tell us, oh, just let me get my coffee first, and we'd look at her coffee. Grandma, I don't think you understand what's going on here. You're going to jail. We used to to tell her, we said you get two things. You get bread and you get water. So we go to the pantry, we get a bread and water, we'd sit her down in the kitchen chair, right, and we would proceed 
to, to wrap her up in masking tape to the kitchen chair because that's totally how jail works, right? <laughs> and this was great fun for us. But at that point, when she was in the chair, we had her exactly where we wanted her, right? She was completely dependent on us because she was taped to the kitchen chair. And this is how a lot of our lives work as parents, right? We are dependent on our kids. We might not be taped to the kitchen chair, but we are dependent on them. We are dependent on their schedules. We are dependent on the resources they require. But man, being a kid in Jesus' day was so radically different. So radically different. In Jesus' day, kids were at the absolute bottom of the totem pole. They had no status whatsoever. They weren't valued Children were actually seen as a burden until they were old enough and strong enough to work. People didn't invest in them. They were entirely dependent on their parents. They were helpless. They were the absolute low of low. This is so radically different than the kids that we have today, and we need to recognize this in order to fully understand what Jesus is saying So going back to the passage, this is the idea we need to have of children. They were the low of the low. They were the lowest people in society. They had no value. They were seen as a burden. Then children were brought to him, brought to him presumably by parents. And the thing about these parents is they must have been people of great faith in Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Because they had enough confidence to believe that Jesus cared about their children which would have been radical because nobody cared about children. These parents are people of great faith. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The laying on of hands is a traditional manner of blessing in first century Israel, especially when passing on a blessing from one generation to a next. So this makes sense. The disciples rebuked the people the disciples, they see these parents come in, right, bringing their kids, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, listen, people, we're trying to build a kingdom here, not a kindergarten. Thank you, but just sorry. Have a nice day. And again, this would have been a normal and natural reaction because people didn't value children, and the disciples could have assumed that Jesus didn't either, right? So them rebuking them, them sending them away makes sense. But Jesus says, Jesus comes on, he reverses the expectation, he undermines the cultural norm, and he welcomes the children. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. In typical Jesus fashion, he turns this into a teaching moment, right? He says, those like children, to such, those who are the lowest of low, belongs the kingdom of heaven. And we get a further explanation of this if we turn to Jesus' prior encounter with children in Matthew 18. This is a time when the disciples come to Jesus and say, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus, Jesus, who's the greatest? Jesus points to a kid and says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven belongs to the child like he says that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the humble. This word humble means to lower yourself, to make low, to bring down, to abase. And this makes sense, right? Knowing what we know about biblical children because they were the lowest of the low. And this idea of humbling yourself is just such a common theme in Jesus' teaching and in the teaching of the New Testament as a whole, right? We see 
The first will be last. The greatest will be least. The humble will be exalted. The childlike will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So why is this so important? Why is this such a common theme in Jesus' teaching? Why is this emphasized here? Why does Jesus have multiple encounters with children where he uses them as the analogy for us to be humble? Not just to do humble things, not just to act humble, but to be humble, but to become humble people. Why is this so important? Let me tell you here. Because when you see yourself humbly, you see yourself honestly. Don't miss this. This is so important. When you see yourself humbly, you see yourself honestly. You'll see that you enter the world empty-handed and that you will leave the world empty-handed and that in the scheme of eternity, your life is nothing but the blink of an eye. I pray this all the time. I really do. I said, God, help me see myself honestly. Help me see myself honestly. And let me tell you why this is so crucial. Because when you see yourself honestly, you will see that you are in desperate need for a Savior. When you see yourself honestly, you see that you are in desperate need for a Savior. And this is where the good news comes in, right? Jesus says it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. It's not those that have it all together, that think they know what they're doing, that think they have life under control, but it's those that are sick. It's those that are humble enough to stand up and say, God, I am sick. He says, I didn't come to save the righteous, the people that think through their own good deeds, their own healthy, holy lifestyles, that they can save themselves so they can reconcile themselves to God. He says, I didn't come for those people. I came for the sinners, those who are humble enough to admit their own brokenness, those enough who are humble enough to admit their need for a Savior. And Jesus, being the Son of God, willingly came down to this earth, willingly humbled himself to be brutally beaten, tortured, and murdered, only to rise again, saving and reconciling to God those of us who are humble enough to admit our brokenness, to genuinely believe in his sacrifice and wholeheartedly submit to his lordship. And this leaves us with a question here. So how does this posture of humility, this humility that we see Jesus emphasize so much, how does it manifest itself in our everyday lives? What does this look like this afternoon with our children and our families? What does this look like tomorrow morning at work? And to answer that question, we can only turn to Jesus' example. Paul describes Christ's humility in Philippians chapter 2. Let me read it for you. He writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the knee of Jesus 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does it look like to live a life of humility? Submitting to your Savior and serving your neighbor. Submitting to your Savior and serving your neighbor. Can we say that together, please? Submit to your Savior and serve your neighbor. Because this is exactly what we see Jesus do, right? He submits wholeheartedly to the Father's will by becoming obedient even to the point of death. And even though he had absolutely no reason to during his time on earth, he humbly served those around him. We need to be humble enough to say, God, I need you. I want your will, not my will. I want your will, not my will. God, I'm going to seek your righteousness only. I'm going to seek your righteousness and trust that you are going to meet my needs. It's saying things like, God, God, I see that everyone around me spends their money one way, but God, you've called me to a life of financial responsibility and generosity, and God, and I know you've only done that because you love me and you are my faithful provider, and I'm just going to trust in you. Saying things like, God, I see all the other moms in the neighborhood, they parent their kids one way, but God, I read your word and I just see a different way, God, and I know that you teach me that because you know what is best for me, you know what is best for my kids, and I'm just going to follow your lead. Or God, all, all my coworkers, they talk about sexuality one way. God, they all talk about it one way, but if I open up your scriptures, God, and even though this is just, just such a radical, crazy view in today's world, I see that your scripture clearly teaches, God, that sex is designed for one man and one woman in the context of a marriage, God. And even though that's just so crazy and that seems absurd to everyone else, that's the view I'm going to hold fast to. That's the view I'm going to live out, God, because I know that's the way you've designed the world to work. That's the way you've designed me to live. It's submitting to our Savior, manifesting humility by saying, God, I need you, I need you, I need you, I am broken. I am in need of your love, I am in need of your grace, I am in need of your guidance, your truth, and your hope. Submit to your Savior and serve your neighbor. Humility is also lived out in our service towards our neighbor's being humble enough to regularly put those around us above ourselves. This means sacrificing our own time. It means giving up some of our priorities and our own agendas. Maybe just giving your attention or one of your possessions to put someone else's interests above your own. And I'm not talking about going to a soup kitchen once or, or even serving at an event at church. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in your daily human interactions, in the everyday stuff of life, looking for opportunities to put those around you above yourself. Maybe it's when, when that guy at work, that's just, that's just real annoying. He just comes into your office, you know, and, and you know no one likes him, and you don't like him either, and that's okay. And, you know, he doesn't even want to talk about anything related to work, and you got stuff to do, but when he comes into your office... Instead of kicking him out, telling him you're too busy, instead of pushing him away, looking at him with love and compassion, seeing that he is starving for community, that he is starving to be cared for and loved, giving him your attention, giving him your focus, just listening, 
to him, caring for him. Maybe it's loving the people that you know no one else will love, caring for the people that no one else will care for, sacrificing something of yourself to look for someone else's needs above your own in just the everyday stuff of life, just looking constantly for little ways, little opportunities, little chances to put someone else before yourself. And just imagine with me here for a minute what this would look like if we did this, if we submit to our Savior and serve our neighbor, what this would look like if each day you woke up and said, God, I'm just going to do your will. God, I want what you want. And then as you go about your day, that you just serve the people around you selflessly. Imagine what your life would look like. I have to imagine that you would be the most fulfilled and satisfied person in this room. And ironically, often the best thing we can do for ourselves is to be humble enough to not care about ourselves so much. And it's not just the preachers that are saying this. Let me read you a quote from Psychology Today, if we can get that slide to go back up there. This is a secular study. These are not Christians. These are not people that are looking to Jesus' example. This is what research is saying about humility Interestingly, the empirical research on humility shows that this trait has great value. Humility has been linked with better academic performance, job performance, and excellence in leadership. Humble people have better social relationships, avoid deception in their social interactions, and they tend to be more forgiving, grateful, and cooperative. A recent set of studies also shows that humility is a consistent predictor of generosity. People who are humble tend to be more generous with both their time, and their money. Do you see the power of humility? Do you see the power in this in submitting to your Savior and serving your neighbor? Imagine what your marriage would look like if your husband woke up every morning and said, God, I just want, I just want what you want, God. I'm going to do everything I can to be a godly man. And then he turned to his wife and just put her interests above his own, put her priorities above his own each and every day. And then the wife turned around and said, God, I just want what you want. God, I want what you want. I want to do everything I can to be a godly woman and turn to her husband and said, I'm just going to put your priorities above your own, above my own. I'm going to put you first. Imagine what that marriage would look like. Can you imagine? Imagine what this church would look like if we got together and every morning we said, God, I want what you want. God, I'm going to do your will. I'm going to submit wholeheartedly to you, and I'm just going to serve those around us every chance I get. I can't even begin to fathom what God could do through this church, a church full of people that are humble enough to adopt this posture. Imagine our nation. What do you think would happen in our nation if Americans lived like this regularly? What would happen if... If Democrats said, we just, wanna, we just want God's will and, and turned to their Republican friends and said, we're just going to serve you. We're going to put our interest above you. And then Republicans turned around and said, God, we want your will. We're going to submit to you. We're going to read your word, see what it says. God, and we're just going to serve those around us. We're going to serve our Democrat friends. We're going to serve the people that have different political opinions of us. What would happen if white people said, God, God, we know that you've called us to equality, God, and you made everyone in your image, and we're just going to serve those. We're just going to selflessly serve those around us regardless of what they look like. And black people turned around and said, God, God, we see that you called us to equality, and we're just going to serve those around us regardless of what they look like. What would our nation look like? It would be incredible 
it would be incredible. This church, your life, your family, your marriage, its community, our world would be a radically, radically different place to live. When you see yourself humbly, you'll see yourself honestly, and you'll see that you are in desperate, desperate need for a savior And seeing your need for a savior is a necessary catalyst to experiencing the love of God. And when you experience that love of God, you are just so compelled to adopt this posture of humility, to submit to your savior and to serve your neighbor. And as you become a humbler person, as you submit to the Father's will, as you love and care for the people around you, You'll become happier. You'll become more fulfilled. You will become more satisfied. You'll become more likable. Your relationships will be better. But above all of that, above all of that, you will become more like Jesus Christ. Will you stand as we close in our time of reflection? Heavenly Father, God, make us lower that you may be higher, God. Humble us that your name may be exalted. Lord, I pray that you will just help us to see ourselves honestly as broken people desperately, desperately in need of a Savior. And God, let us experience your unconditional love, grace, and acceptance in light of our brokenness, God. Lord, we submit to you. We need you, Lord. We know you know what's best for us, and we want to see your will accomplished here on earth, not our own. And God, compel us by your love and through the power of your Holy Spirit to humble ourselves and to serve the people that you put in our paths each and every day, looking to their interests above our own. God, continue to increase in us. Continue to mold us into your image. Thank you again for the time we had this morning. We pray all of these things in the truly matchless name of our creator, our redeemer, and our king, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next Sunday.